Unearthing Paranormalcy is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. And I'm Chad. And we are coming to you today from the Siberian Alps. Oh, wait, no. Just cold as Siberia. (laughs) Just cold AF. True. I don't know what you're talking about. <clears throat> Yesterday it was like 65 degrees. Negative. Are you sure? <laughs> Let me see. Wednesday the 3rd. Yep, it was 65 degrees. Oh, you're talking next week <laughs> when this episode actually airs. I'm talking about today when we're recording. So you heard that, everybody. We survived snow or the polar vortex or whatever scary thing they're calling it now. That makes it sound like something out of an H.P. Lovecraft novel. Yes, and when the, you're listening to this, it's going to be 65 here. It was negative 27 yesterday. Wind with the, chill. With the wind chill. It was pretty cold. Yes. Well. What was it I told everybody? I said someone was talking about there's like a 30% chance of ice. And I was like, there's about a 100% chance of ice forming on my face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It was fun. All right, so we're going to finish off Whitley Strieber in his book, Communion. But before we get started, let's go ahead and hear a promo from one of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network shows. Welcome to XP Planet. Greetings, friends, fiends, and lovers of strange and wondrous things. My name is Flood, and I am the host of XV Planets, a bi-weekly podcast of the odd and unusual. The core of XV Planets is a documentary-style exploration into paranormal investigations that I and my ever-evolving group of magical misfits conduct. We take a look at the history, the mystery, then go see it for ourselves, and then we bring that experience, and on occasion, that evidence, to your ears. Alongside the investigations, you'll find a treasure trove of other content, like interviews with authors, art historians, mediums, UFO researchers, cryptid hunters, fellow paranormal investigators, as well as deep dives into the arts, exploring topics like the killing joke frontman Jazz Coleman's magical practices, and how that propelled the band forward, and whether or not David Lynch was really conducting occult rituals through Twin Peaks The Return. So follow XV Planets today and get caught up on the journey, because I can promise you, it only gets stranger from here. I'll see you on the fifth plane. Go check them out. They're great. All right. So where we left off, Whitley Stryber had just gone through his first and second hypnosis. And we listened to those tapes. And some of them were disturbing. Some of them were interesting. 
But after his last session of hypnosis, Whitley walked home through the streets of New York thinking about what he'd just discovered. While he still wasn't sure he was sane, what worried him most was what to tell his wife and his son. And also, what on earth had been happening in his life that he'd simply forgotten? He was in shock that he went back to 1957. Yes, he still remembered the train ride, but had no memory of seeing the visitors there. Once he got to his apartment, he had dinner with his family, and then when everyone else was asleep, he went into his office and shut the door and sat on the floor and thought. Not only had he experienced these events, but other people had witnessed the effects of them as well. They had seen the light. They had heard the explosion. He decided to think back on his past. What else had he happened that he had forgotten? He thought back on his childhood, some of the basics about the year of that trip. He was 12 in the beginnings of puberty. His little brother had been born that May. That alone could be enough to cause his mind to create a false memory. But it really didn't explain what else had happened. He was talking to an old classmate one day and asked him what's the strangest thing he remembers. His friend told him that he had announced that a spaceman had taught him how to build an anti-gravity machine. And he had built it in the summer of 58. Whitley remembered building it. It was an assembly of electromagnets taken from old motors. The supposed anti-gravity effect was based on the principle of counter-rotation. When I plugged my assemblage in, there was a great buzzing. The electromagnetic in the core of the thing whirled madly, and the lights in the house began to pulsate. The whole thing whined and fluttered. There were showers of sparks. Parental cries of alarm rose from downstairs. As the machine destroyed itself, the pulsation of the house lights became a dimming until the bulbs glowed orange-red. Then they burst to blazing life, a good number of them blowing out in the process. Finally, I managed to pull the plug. And that comes from communion. He didn't want to tell his parents what had happened, so he ran downstairs and pretended ignorance. His friend told him that Whitley had called him and told him that he was afraid of the spacemen, that they were mad because he had disturbed their power field. The day after, he went to his grandmother's country home to get away. Around four that afternoon, the phone rang, and he remembers his grandmother saying, House burned down. Mary Streeper's house burned down. Fortunately, the entire house hadn't burned down. Only the roof over the section of the house that had his bedroom. What caused the fire, or the cause of the fire was never really explained. But Whitley had the feeling that it had something to do with the effect of his machine on the old wiring and not so much the hostility of annoyed visitors. But who knows? He also remembers telling a story about seeing a wolf howling on the roadside. And he said he had even heard it. But he had no idea why. He had never seen a wolf. But the memories he has of the wolf have appeared in his books, The Wolfen, The Wolf of Shadows, and The Wild. He calls the wolf one of his screened, quote, screened memories. Sque screened memories are very common for those who have experienced the visitors. 
Most of Whitley's have to do with animals. The wolf and the owl are the most common. But he recalls a time when, as a child, when he was terrified as a boy of Mr. Peanut. Er, he, he said he was menaced by him at a, the Battle of the Flowers Parade in San Antonio. Now he understands that that never happened. He also used to say that he was president of the University of Texas when Child Whitman went into this, his shooting spree from the bell tower in 1966, but he wasn't there. There were all these memories that he had that he later discovered were not true at all. But why was he having them? He knew on some level why. It was the same reason he spent much of his time checking under the beds and in the closet. It was a way for him not to face the actual truth. And in 1985, it had become too intense for him to hide behind the screened memories. He was also, he also states that after releasing all these memories, he was finally happy again. Now on February 7th, 1986, the Streber family was at their apartment in the city. Willie had a bad feeling. He felt their presence. He could smell them. They had a distinct odor of smoldering cardboard. His wife could also smell the odor. It was something that they had both smelled many times before. There was also an odor of cheese and cinnamon that he remembered from December 26th. He was in bed sweaty and sleepless, but was shocked to discover that four hours had passed without him noticing. He was reading at midnight, turned the page, and saw it was 4 a.m., and he was no longer wearing his pajamas. The next morning, he got up and found two little triangles inscribed on his left forearm and no memory of how they got there. Now, he actually experienced quite a bit of this time loss phenomenon. Do, 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 do. Um, where he would just miss hours or even days at a time. He even talks about having time jumps where he would find himself in another dimension or he'd find himself in another place in time. Things like that. Now on March 21st, 1986, Whitley had another strange thing happen to him at the cabin. Sometime during the night, he woke up unable to move and even open his eyes. I had the distinct impression that there was something in my left nostril. And it was being slowly moved far up my nose. When I tried to struggle, when I tried to struggle, I heard a pop like an apple crunching between my eyes. The next thing I remember, it was morning. The next day, he noticed that his nose hurt and was dealing with a little bit of bleeding. But his wife and son had had similar things happen to them the week before, so he just assumed it was some kind of head cold or dried cold, dry cold air. The week before, Anne's right nostril had a little bump on it, or in it, had a little bump in it, and his son's left nostril had the same thing. Whitley was now developing the same kind of knot on his left nostril. Theirs had gone away without any problem, but Whitley's was bothering him and lasted. On March 26th, he went to the doctor, who said it was a scratch to the the nasal mucosa that led to the formation of the knot. In a few more days, it went away. He thought nothing about it again until he received a letter from Dr. Klein in July of 1986. He mentioned that some of Whitley's symptoms 
were consistent with an abnormality in the temporal lobe and that the method of testing it would involve a nasal probe. Side note, the temporal lobe is arguably, arguably the most important part of the brain where humanity itself is set. The temporal lobe houses emotion, motivation, and memory. People with temporal lobe epilepsy report deja vu, unexplained panic states, strong smells, and even a preoccupation with philosophical and cosmic concerns. They also sometimes report vivid hallucinatory journeys. We had experience with the temporal lobe damage with Eli. His was mainly his memory and his thoughts. Yeah. A week after receiving the letter, Whitley happened to meet a woman who had had a visitor experience. She told the story about how the visitor inserted a probe into her nose, which made the sound like an apple crunching between her eyes. He then asked Bud Hopkins for more information from his case reports of intrusions into the head. Of the hundreds of cases, there were four that reported intrusions in or behind the ear, three under the eye, and 11 up the nose, right into the olfactory nerve that connect with the connect with its connection to the deepest core of the brain, and behind that nerve is the temporal lobe. Interesting enough, both Whitley and his son were left-handed and had injuries in their left nostril, and Anne was right-handed, and it was in her right nostril. Whitley decided to go ahead with a temporal lobe test. He had two separate tests done by two different psychiatrists other than Dr. Klein. They both came back with the same conclusion. There was no evidence of an abnormality. On March 13, 1986, Anne was hypnotized by Dr. Robert Neyman. They had chosen a different psychiatrist other than Dr. Klein so that there could be no possibility of his questions taking an unnoticed direction because of what he had already known or what he because of what he already knew. Dr. Neiman had worked with people before that had this kind of experience and took the same stance as Dr. Klein. But Hopkins was present and said at an session and asked a few questions, but it was mainly conducted by Dr. Neiman. I'm actually just going to jump ahead in the hypnosis to the interesting part. It also just happens to be the point where Bud is asking some questions. While it's all interesting, this part was like, wow, when I read it the first time. Again, if you want to read the whole thing, it is in the book Communion by Whitley Stryver. We'll start with Bud Hopkins. Did you have any dreams that night? I don't remember. You said it had been a restless night because of dreams? Let me think. I don't think Whitley was there very much. He was gone. You know, he goes sometimes at night. He goes and works, or he just goes. Where did he go that night? Downstairs. You have an impression of Wit being away from the bed? Yes, it was lonely. You know, I wish he wouldn't do that. Was it after he said, the roof's on fire? I think it was before, too. He went out, then he came back again. He was just doing things all night. 
It certainly was not a night of sound, deep sleep for you, was it? Well, it doesn't seem to be, but I really don't remember anything. But it it has to be, really. Did you hear your son? Yes. You heard that? Oh, yes. He sounded so frightened, really scared. Is that very common? He gets nightmares sometimes, but he sounded especially frightened. I remember he sounded really terrified, so frightened, more frightened than usual. He screamed, eh? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's painful to hear. Is he Canadian? <laughs> Is that something that in a normal night... <laughs> Is that something that in a normal night's sleep you might sleep through without hearing? Oh, no, no. Whitley usually hears him first, but I always hear him. You didn't sleep that soundly? Oh, no, I heard it. I know you heard it, but I want to know if you heard it. Oh, no, I heard it. Some nights I might not, but usually I hear it. This you couldn't miss. I mean, it was so loud. Did he say words? Well, he did, but I don't remember what they were. He was really scared. Something really scared him. I thought maybe something was happening to him because I was like something was happening to him. I thought somebody was doing something to him. It was a different kind of scream. Why didn't you go to him? Because Whitley was already on his way. But I remember feeling uneasy. I wanted to go too, but felt I shouldn't. Why not? I thought there was something Whitley would... I had to... It had to do with him. He was supposed to go. He was supposed to go? He was supposed to go. I wasn't supposed to, but I wanted to go. It must have been difficult staying in bed. It was because I wondered what happened. When did you find out what happened? I don't remember. I don't remember. What happened? I do remember he'd gone for a, he was gone for a long time. He didn't come back. Sometimes he goes and sleeps down there when our son has had a nightmare or sleeps in our son's room in the apartment. I remember feeling very lonely that that he didn't come back. And I didn't think it was fair to be left like that. It was very lonely and scary. It made me uneasy. He kept going, you know, kept going. When your son kept crying? Willie kept leaving, going. Willie kept going, kept leaving. I want you to do something. You're laying very, very quite relaxed. Just as you were that night. I want you to concentrate on what you can see and feel and hear. If you can see something through your eyelids, feel your body, your shoulders, your legs, feel relaxed. I don't feel relaxed. I'm not relaxed. I can't feel relaxed if I wasn't relaxed. I mean, I wa it wasn't relaxing. No, it wasn't relaxing at all. There was too much going on, you know. It was... Was there something going on in the room or did, did Jacques... Or and Annie? No, they, they weren't in on it. There was something going on. I wanted to know what was going on. It looked... Things were going on. I wanted to know what was going on. There was lots of things going on, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. Why didn't you get up and go see? I couldn't. 
because I wouldn't. I, I was afraid to, or I wasn't supposed to. I wasn't supposed to. It was like your mother says to you, you have to stay here. Even if you don't, you're dying to get out and see what's going on. But you know because you've been told. You were trained to do that. Well, we were all trained to do that from childhood. Who told you that? Nobody told me. I just had to do it. Is this something Whitley told you? No, he just left. No. Have an impulse to turn on a light? Oh, no, I wasn't supposed to see. Who said so? No one said so. I just knew. You weren't supposed to see? No, I just knew it. That's what worries worried me, because I wasn't supposed to know. But my son was so afraid. And Whitley was saying things like the roof's on fire. And I wasn't supposed to do anything. It's like somebody says, well, the car is crashing, but don't do anything. Strange orders. Well, they weren't orders. You see, they weren't orders, no. And I want you to do me a favor. I want you to, with your eyes closed and very relaxed. I'm not relaxed. As relaxed as you can be. I want you to have a little dream, a fantasy, about all the activity that was happening. All What's right. happening? All right. Somehow, Whitley is involved, and your boy is involved. I'm not involved. Well, you dream, you'll dream about it. Tell us what you remember. Whitley is supposed to go. They came for Hit Whitley. I'm sorry. They came for Whitley. He's supposed to go, but I'm not supposed to go. Now, Anne's hypnosis is much longer than this, but we could do a whole episode on just this one hypnosis. But although the hypnosis, but all through the hypnosis, you can tell Anne is trying to get stuff out, and it's like the screen memories take over, and she has a hard time getting the full picture. Well, if she would just relax. <laughs> She's not relaxed. <laughs> but you do come to find out that the visitors aren't as into Anne as they are into Whitley. She's supposed to be there for him when he comes back and help him feel normal. It's like her job. The I don't know how she's going to do that if she can't relax. <laughs> <laughs> but she is not supposed to remember the events. Okay. Well, that's why she's not relaxed. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, like... I don't know even how she's going to do that if she's not even going to get up. <laughs> well, she can't. Because she's not relaxed. <laughs> Because uh, her mom told her not to, or no. But all through the thing, they'll ask her stuff, and she'll start to go into the memory of it, and then she'll be like, I can't remember. I can't remember. Yeah. And then she'll go into it, I can't remember. And like Kind of like he did in that one hypnosis. Like someone's still telling him to no. Yeah, it's no. like that. It's just blocked, and she can't get past it. And Nope, hit the firewall. Yeah. Okay, let's try this password. Nope, hit the firewall. I've done that so many times <laughs> when I'm thinking about things sometimes where it's just, I just know it just says it's not there. I just can't go past a certain point. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it come, basically, she was given a role by the visitors to help Whitley get through the events by being there, by remembering certain things, but not everything. Not, not remembering enough to yeah. make him think about it. Yeah. But enough to make him calm down and 
Yeah, exactly. On the night of April 13th, 1986, Bud Hopkins hosted a get-together for a few of his cases that had had that had all had visitor experiences. There were 11 of them in total. The purpose of this get-together was not to discuss the details of being taken, but the experience of coping with it and trying to live a normal life. Names were changed to protect them. Protect them from who? The visitors. But I thought they could telepathically communicate with them and had a symbiotic link to them. It's more to protect them from ridicule from the outside world. Ah, gotcha. But these are the stories that were written in communion. Joan, a beautician, age 23. I was shown a picture of another city they were building. What we're doing now to our planet is killing it a little by little. And it's going to come to a point where there's not going to be anything left. I think they're getting ready to start another world. And there will be people who are part of that. And it scares me because I have trouble dealing with what's going on in my life now because I start thinking, this really, this isn't really what's happening. It is ending. And they're telling us that. And they've implied that to me. What we're doing is killing ourselves, and that's scary. Okay, so let me get this straight. We as humanity fucked this world up. Like a bunch of termites fuck up a piece of wood. Mm-hmm. And these aliens, or these visitors, are going to take us to a new piece of wood and hope we do shit different? <laughs> I don't think so. Or are these aliens us in the future? Well, then, Trying if to humanity us. survives, what do they need the past people for? I don't know. Huh. They're trying to change the future. We then have Jenny... The dancer, that's 22. They call me Candy. (laughs) Wrong dancer. Willie asked her what happened to her. I'm not really sure yet because I've only had one hypnosis. But I remember something from when I was five years old. Very scary experience. And I've always blocked it. From the time I was five, I was afraid. And I saw things in my house. I saw people in my house. And I would wake up screaming. You mean not human people? I don't know. They were shadows. Small things. I saw once this green thing dripping down the wall. It looked like a very bright triangular light. And it went screaming into my mother's bedroom. And she said, Just go to sleep. Obviously a dream. And so those kinds of things I saw from the time I was about five. And I never connected it with anything until about six months ago. My sister said something to me about it. An experience that she had had. That she remembered me being in. And I remember it. But I thought it was a dream. We have Mark, the museum curator and artist. Age 55. The old museum curator. He fell for the old museum curator trick. (laughs) (laughs) Just trying to get a little understanding. I had an experience when I was 10 years old. I had no idea what it was. 
but I know for 37, 38 years, I was always aware that something had happened. And the general idea of the location, but I could never explain it. I constantly looked for an area where it had taken place. It was an area, and I went out though often, where there were a lot of people that are witness to the fact that there was something you just can't explain. It was, it was after the first hypnosis that all comes out too real, too believable. I was with another person. We were we were out bike riding. Then there was a lapse of time, and we were walking our bikes home. I remember telling a story that I had an accident on my bike because I had a scar, but not believing myself and not believing it throughout the years. Sally, the business executive, age 36. You know, the first time I realized something had happened that wasn't a figment of my imagination. Wasn't some subconscious thing or something or a creative element of my mind or something. I was reading Ban Betty Betty and Drayerson's story, The Andreason Affair, by Raymond E. Fowler. She described a detail of the sort of crystal boots they had put on her. They had clear bottoms like a platform. And there was some sort of electrical thing, something inside this clear platform. And that's exactly what I had on my feet. Exactly. And I said I cannot believe some other woman could possibly have the exact same thing on her feet. That her imagination could be exactly like mine. And I said, no way. And the tears started coming down my face. And I said, that's it. And I was totally upset. I couldn't sleep. I tossed and turned. I was just a mess. I wanted to hid somewhere horrible. I love how he reads it word for word instead of trying to figure out what it says. Oh, I'll read anything on the teleprompter. Right. Is that supposed to be I wanted to hide somewhere? Yes. Okay. Now, how do you say that name? Betty Andreessen? Andreessen. Andreessen. The Andreessen affair? Betty Andreessen's story. In the book, you can read the entire conversation that these people had. I just picked a, f- I just picked a few that sounded interesting. So as I've said before, Whitley went all into trying to figure out what happened to him. He found doctors, scientists, and other people. And although he doesn't know for sure what happened to him, he knows that he isn't alone in it either. I'm going to just list a few of the theories that he talked about, and I want us to discuss them. Because you know, if there's one thing that we're good at, it's coming up with logical and not-so-logical explanations for things. Excuse me, sir. I uh, seem to have a problem. I seem to have got my uh, dick stuck in your toaster. Oh, could you help me out a little bit? Sorry to wake you. <laughs> now, I also want to add on here. The book doesn't just end here. I mean, there's tons of information in the book about all the things he discovered and things that he did. But I didn't want to just sit and read the whole book. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. to the listeners. I want you to go oh. get this book and read this book. I thought you meant for yourself. <laughs> no, I've read You're the book. You're just like, I read half of it. I was like, fuck it. We got enough. Let's do this. <laughs> I've read the book twice now, actually. It's a pretty good book. Uh I read it long ago, like, shoot, 
When I was probably a teenager. Yeah. It is really good, and I do recommend reading it. But some of his theories, some of them I actually really like. I think they're pretty interesting theories. Uh, the first, we're going to start off with fairy lore. Ooh, fairy lore. You know, for centuries, there were the story of the fae that would come and play tricks on people and mess with people. For centuries, more like millennia. Yeah. And what if these visitors are the fae? They've just taken a new form to fit into our... Or they're the same form. Or they're the, yeah, they could be the same form. They could just be the same form, and we just think of explaining them as because people don't know the stories or don't believe in the Fae. Yeah. Because what are the little greys? Goblins? Yeah. What are the Nordics? Fairies? Elves? Elves? Yeah. Very true. Because also, we also picture so much of the Fae as little Tinkerbells and. Leprechauns, Leprechaun. little tiny well, leprechauns. I mean, you know, we have this romanticized version of a lot of the Fae, whereas that's not quite what they were supposedly no. like. But um, I mean, they're really not all that, and they're really not all like the way like True Blood shows them. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a mixed bag. Yeah. I mean, there's leprechauns, there's chloricons, there's the red caps, there's, shoot, just off the top of my head, there's goblins like Puka. Puka, Puka. Oh, that's Pika. Pika, Pika. <laughs> Which are shapeshifters. They'll sometimes show up as hares or black horses or any number of things. Yeah. There's edder caps. There's, um, you got your trooping fairies, which are the ones that go together, and you got your solitary fairies. Um, there's a fascinating book by W.B. Yeats. Yeats! Um, he went around Ireland in the early... 20th century and collected up the tales of the peasantry. Yeah. <coughs> and wrote them all out. Um, hell, I got a book somewhere. It's thick. It's like 400 pages. It's just all, like, it lists like all the fairies. Yeah. There's thousands of them. Well, and another one of his theories that goes along with this would be the old gods. Oh, yeah. <coughs> what about them? People described seeing the old gods and talking to the old gods. Oh, yeah. You That's know? still one of my favorite theories with aliens is that, well, it's not that they're the old gods, but that the old gods were... Were them? Were aliens. And they did, you know, because so many of the mythologies have... You know, it's bright light or some ship in the sky, mm-hmm. and the gods would come down and speak to them and show them how to build things and all this stuff. So that's my idea. Since I love mythology so much, I always like the idea of the old gods were actually just aliens that came down with 
extensive knowledge that the people didn't have. Yeah. Well, and he also, he talked about, you know, I don't know if you remember from last the last um, episode on this, <laughs> but he asked one of the, the creatures, the female creature, or he said, you're old. Or are, he asked, are you old? And she said, Rude. yes, very. And, you know, the picture of the cover of the book is actually his depiction that he gave a um, sketch artist. And he said, to him, it, they resembled insects. But at the same time, when he saw this woman, he thought she was more like Ishtar from, you know, Babylonian times. Um, but, I mean, yeah, like you said, all the gods, they come in these golden chariots from the sky or they... They bring some kind of knowledge to the people. The light bringers. The shining ones. The shining ones, yeah. Yeah. Another one of his theories were, or was, that maybe they are our dead. What if we are actually the larva phase of our existence? And death is when we grow up. And he often talks about this as like the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly. Does the caterpillar know that it will be a butterfly? You know, that's a huge metamorphosis and change that happens there. So is it, I mean, that, it's completely torn down and then redone. So, so is that what happens to us that we're actually in our Lara phase right now? And when we die, we leave our cocoon, our body, and become something different. I mean, that's the that's the central thought between all of Neoplatonism, behind all occult teachings and esoteric teachings. Yeah, is that the transmigration of the soul? Mm-hmm. It's in every religion. Yeah, um, save for. Maybe a couple of them. My only question to this is then why do they come back and do experiments on us? Because for them, it's fun to fuck around and find out. (laughs) The same reason we do experiments on things that we think are lower life forms. Mm -hmm. The reason we do experiments on rats and mice and rabbits. And that's exactly where he went with this theory. He talked about going to a, a, a slaughterhouse. Yeah. And and I think it's like how we think these aliens are picking us up and injecting us with these RSID chips. It's a guilt that is found in the collective consciousness because we're doing that to other species. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is is the same comes from the same place. I like that. Another one of his theories is that we just created them with our own mind and they're egregores. Yeah. I mean, everything's created with our minds. Our perception informs our mind. Mm -hmm. Well, he talks a lot about, you know, some of the first sightings, and I know we've talked about this before, some of the first sightings were of ships, like boats in the sky. Yeah. And... 
People really didn't even see flying saucers till the idea was put in their head. In the 50s, yeah. By the pictures. Yeah. Because the actual news articles, I know I've said this many times, they were actually boomerang shaped, but the artist that did the story for the newspaper, the column or whatever, drew a different picture. And that's the one that's stuck in everybody's mind. Yeah. So... The simple fact that they could be egregores. And when we talk about egregores... <laughs> Every cryptid we do, it's always an there a thought process in it. And you give enough thought to these by enough different people, they take on a life of their own. I found a new book. It's called 250 Cryptids. Ooh. And it's organized by state. Sounds like our cryptid battles could get epic. (laughs) Let's just say we're not running out of cryptid episodes anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) And then another one of his theory is one that we've definitely talked about on this show is what if they're from another dimension or time travelers? The time traveler hypothesis, the you know the men in black or the yeah. the time, time cops. Time cops, yeah. Today's episode of Time Cops. And I remember many, many years ago seeing an article, probably on Yahoo or something like that, that they put some information into a computer to create the future human, and. It designs it just, the gray. It look, they do look like grays. Yeah. According to what this computer figured out. So with the, it, it was yeah, doing the future evolution of a human, mm-hmm. and it looks just like a gray alien. When Crowley drew Iwas, he drew him like that. He drew him with like a large head with small facial features. Mm-hmm. Very fascinating. But, I mean, I don't know. What do computers know? This AI stuff. You ask it to make you a picture and it can barely do that. (laughs) Or is it just from your perspective you don't see the picture, brah? Maybe. I haven't smoked enough to see the truth. Your mind is closed. (laughs) You need to open your hole, man. And, And, I mean, really, it's... I don't know. I I could go on and on about how they program those things. So, so I mean, I like the idea of the time traveler theory. Um, most going back to the fairy lore, most of the fairy lore is centered around dimensions or time traveling. Yeah, I mean, they live in their own world that mm-hmm. is overlaid with ours. Yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, the same with the gods, with the old gods the um, that corresponded to the seven uh, ancient planets. All of those celestial spheres were thought to overlay ours in the same space and time. Yeah. So, I mean, really, it all fits together. Yeah, I was just about to say that. It's kind of like all of these could be all in the same thing. Yeah. And when we create stuff with these egregores on the mental plane... It goes down to the spiritual plane, 
and then down to the astral plane to the physical plane. Yeah. Those busy plane stations. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I can see how all of these could actually fit what they are. It's just and different models, different way to mm-hmm. contextualize it. But really, it's just all the same thing. I mean, it's these shining ones. It's these it's these angels and these demons that some call them. It's the jinn, uh, the fairy, the vampire, the... The spirits. The Jersey the, Devil, yeah. the all that stuff. It's all the same, really. The Big Fi. The Big Fi, especially. In the 1950s, speaking of those saucer-shaped things, Bigfoot sightings and UFO sightings were, were hand-in-hand for 20-something years. Yeah. Almost to the point where people thought that they were piloting these crafts. The Bigfootsies. Yeah. <laughs> like This is long before Star Wars with <laughs> Chewbacca, the co-pilot, you know? <laughs> So that idea wasn't even in people's heads. So I don't know where the hell it came from. It's probably where George Lucas got the idea for Jew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably, probably had a lot to do with it, yeah. Because, yeah, this would have been in all the kind of science fiction and all the weird little occult books. Because I know he read them because even his concept of the Force is the same as Prana or Chi or the universal uh, life force energy. Yeah. He was reading some pretty cool shit to come up with all like the Jedi ways and yeah. overlay like Daoism and Buddhism in there but at the same time making it very duality between good and evil to kind of make a call back to the um, Abrahamic religions. Yeah. More than anything what I learned in this book is that Whitley Stryver strived to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And still strives to figure it out. And then you say here from another planet, well, that also just goes to the planets being the celestial spheres that are overlaid onto ours. So, yeah, they're probably from Jupiter. Yeah. All about expansion and growth. They're from Uranus. <laughs> ah. They're from Uranus. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but he sh- would strive to figure out these things and solve these things. And help other people who had these experiences as well. And um, I've been listening to his podcast. He's got some really interesting guests that he has on his podcast. And that is um, Dreamland. And you can find it on. I listened to a few episodes of that. Any of your podcasting apps. apps. Um, Not like the beginning ones. Probably one of the latest ones. I didn't scroll down very far. I started with the number one. I didn't. I never start a podcast with number one. But even though it's number one, it's still like four years after he started. Because the other ones are all archived on the website. Mm. Um, Okay. But there's some definitely some interesting guests that he has on there that have really interesting points. And like I said, he's just striving to figure figure it all out. Um, That's all we're doing. Exactly. He has no definitive answers on anything, just like us. You know, we come up with all our theories and our logical and not so logical ones, and but we don't know how have the answers for any of it. So, right. <laughs> and he's kind of the same way. He's just been doing this since what eighty five, so thirty five, thirty seven years. 
almost 30, well, I guess just 37 years as of Monday the 26th. Yeah. Yeah. What a way to be initiated into it, huh? Yeah. I've been trying Whoa. to figure out this life for 38 years. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine having some big significant event like this that changes your entire life. How crazy would it be for this? For the first thing that changes everything in your life is an alien with his dick stuck in your toaster. <laughs> right? Thank God I don't have a toaster. Please help me. <laughs> this device seems to have taken a hold of me. I wonder if it was one of those hot dog toasters, you know, so it has the little holes for the hot dogs <laughs> and then the big slots for the buns. <laughs> Now, because I don't have recordings for this episode, it's going to be a little bit shorter. Well, you're not recording this? This is some <laughs> of our best ideas. Shit. Now, they also did hypnotize Jacques and, um, and Annie. Did they ask Annie if she was okay? Are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? You've um, been hit by. Have you been struck by? A smooth criminal. No, 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 no. That's a different song. <laughs> um, and they did pull out more information about that night. It wasn't anything yeah. like super enlightening, but they both remembered him talking to them through the door. You know how he said that he ran into them in the hallway? Or ran into Jacques in the hallway? Mm-hmm. In their hypnotisms, he just knocked on their door and said everything was okay. Um, he ran into a body double. Yes. He um, also in part of hmm. Anne's, she was under the impression that Annie was in the room singing to their son. Have you ever um, thought about running into your doppelganger? Yeah. Have you ever explored the site of that that's known as doppelbanger? Nope, I don't want to see the other half of me that makes me want to fuck myself. <laughs> Only when we were on Smuts Up. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to listen to that episode, I don't know what episode it is, but Chad and I both were on that episode of Smuts Up, and somebody brought to us a story of the, it was like Men in Black fan fiction. Yeah. Not Men in Black, uh, The Matrix the fan Matrix fiction. The Matrix fan fiction, yeah. <laughs> That's very interesting. Yeah. Just thinking about <laughs> fucking toasters and stuff like that. And I guess in a, in like an animistic worldview, you would need consent, right? <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder. Just, toasters clamp down. <laughs> I wonder if animists request consent from their sex toys. I'll have to ask some sometime. I mean, I'm I'm an animist, but I've never really thought about it before. Plug. Is it okay if I insert you in my ass? Eh, I don't want to hear this. My my animism only extends to like things with. I mean, everything has a life force, but things that are like living and breathing. Yeah. Gerbil, is it okay if I put you in my ass? (laughs) (laughs) Ooby Winks is on an adventure. (laughs) (laughs) 
Lemmy Winks, you need to go past the bog of eternal stench. <laughs> past the mountains of doom. <laughs> the way ahead is dangerous. Take this with you. Oh. Da 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 Poor gerbil. So write into our show and tell us, like, when you were a kid, who was what was the urban legend of who who got a hamster stuck up their ass? Yeah, for us, it was these these two brothers that were like furniture salesmen. Yeah, yeah. It was one of them. Yeah. I thought you were going to say about who touched yeah. you. <laughs> it's like, whoa, Dave. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, every t- every, everybody has the, some story, story about somebody gerbil. sticking a gerbil up their yep. butt. Yeah, it's like an urban, it's like as common as crybaby bridges. <laughs> and everybody knows somebody who was at the hospital that day, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My brother's sister's nephew's cousin's former roommate was actually the nurse on duty when... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something yeah. like that. Man, I, my mind's in a weird spot tonight. I'm just all <laughs> over the place. I don't know what's going on. You're talking about aliens, and Dave's over here fascinated by the gerbil myths. <laughs> no, yeah, so the, the toaster thing, and the. He said gerbil. It sounded like he brought up the gerbil. And just added it to this weird concoction <laughs> that's brewing up here. Now, here is something to ask that is a long Whitley Stryber. Did you ever have like a fear of something that you like in his screen memory of being afraid of Mr. Peanut? Yeah, it's called porcelain fucking dolls. Well, sorry, porcelain dolls. <laughs> yeah, porcelain <laughs> fucking dolls. Yeah, I mean those would scare me too, but <coughs> I have no rhyme or reason for them to scare me. I grew up with them around, yeah, grandparents' house and stuff like that. But yeah, no, they just. I guess my animism does extend to things people create as well. But not necessarily to the things that are just machine made, which is odd. Hmm. I must have been touched in a naughty in my no no square by a porcelain doll. Well, here's where I this is the point in the book where I started thinking, holy shit, did something happen to me? Uh oh. Because I have a distinct, very vivid memory of being chased. By the big bad wolf. Mm-hmm. And hiding in the bathroom. So distinct that I literally, when I was like a teenager, asked my mom if something ever happened, somebody ever chased us in the house, yeah. thinking that I put the big bad wolf on it as like a... Something your my, uh, my childhood yeah. mind could understand. Like a symbol. Yeah. And she said no. But I mean, it is such a vivid memory that I have. That I find it odd that I could have a, remember a dream from like the age of four. Yeah. This vividly. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it made me start going, holy shit, have I been abducted before? <laughs> <laughs> and then I had the dream about the owl and I was like, holy shit. And I was like, you know what? At this point, I think I would rather live in ignorance than remember it <laughs> if it was the case. Now, (laughs) there's a lot to be said about hypnotism and planting false memory. Yes. And Freud was really bad about that. That, like, you know, the whole... Everybody who was... Freud found out they were molested by somebody. It's because he put those thoughts into their heads while they were under... Yeah, while they were in session with him. 
Yeah. And he had to recant later on all his findings um, because of it. He wasn't really a hypnotist. Back then they yeah. called him mesmerists, but he wasn't really into that. But but yeah, I mean, even just therapy and stuff like that. Even just sitting there thinking really hard, you can put a false memory in your mm-hmm. head. I mean, we do it all the time when we look back on our own lives with illusion and make ourselves the hero when we were actually being the villain. Yeah. Or making ourselves the villain when we were actually being the hero. Making ourselves the victim when we were actually the... The perpetrator. perpetrator, yeah. Yep. I mean, we do it all the time. We plant all kinds of false memories in order to... I mean, I, I don't know why. So we're not well, destroyed by our negativity. And then anybody who has been around a narcissist has those thoughts planted into their head too by them. Oh, sure. Through the, through the, through the gaslighting. and the, Yeah. There have been so many times that I get pissed off about something that I sit there and go, am I in the right to be mad? Yeah. You know what I mean? You can feel however you want to feel. And that's just from, you know, a lifetime of narcissistic family members. It's, yeah. okay, it's okay to feel everything you feel and think every way you think. Thoughts aren't illegal. Yeah. Well, Feelings aren't come. illegal. Yeah. Memories are just... Memories are funny because they're either they're easy to manipulate. All it takes is recalling a memory one time and influencing one little change. Mm-hmm. And it can change everything. <laughs> I saw a funny um, theory on how I met your mother about how Ted was probably more like he was portrayed in the film The Wedding Bride. Because if you think about it, he wants to be the hero in his own story, especially talking to his kids. So he's not going to paint himself with that picture. Um, Secondly, another reason that I kind of back up that theory is because if you look at the other characters in that movie, like Marshall, Marshall's pretty spot on. And Marshall's part of Ted's story that he's telling his kids. He's not editing Marshall the way he's editing himself. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that's just what popped in my mind when you're talking memory, because it's like a storytelling type show. Well, I also think of like shared memories, like you have with a sibling or a spouse of something that happens, but you both perceived it differently. And so you both remember it completely different. We were telling Kylie the story of our first date 20 years ago mm-hmm. from December 23rd. And, yeah, we were, like, both telling the story together, our different points of view of it. Our different perspectives, yeah. Yeah, our different perspectives and our own little piece of the story. And, I mean, she eventually started messing around with some K2 meter and then wandered off halfway in the middle of it. But <laughs> it was, but, yeah, that's exactly kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. And then with these screened memories that he's having where... They've been implanted. It makes me think back to 
let's go true crime for a second, but with like the toy box killer who would hold these people hostage and basically brainwash them and release them. Okay. Yeah, he was doing that with um, like drugs, I believe. Yeah. I don't know which drugs, but not that I'm going to put that information out there if I'd even do know. A lot of sick fucking people in this world. Yeah. But it kind of reminds me of that with these aliens. Are they doing something like that? Is that what those injections are that they're giving people? Whitley also remembers them giving, putting something in his mouth multiple times and making him swallow it. <laughs> now, um, <laughs> not that chat. You, you've had stuff happen to you, or, or hell, you've even had feelings or emotions that you can't even put into words. Yeah. Maybe it's just that. Yeah. I mean, I'm very, I have like hyperfantasia, right? Where I can visualize really well. Mm-hmm. And I can't really explain what I'm visualizing most of the time. It's just too hard to put into words or it would take, you know, 10 minutes to describe it. Yeah. And maybe these experiences are so, like, symbolic or so overcomplicated that they can't really put it into... Like, I remember the first time I got onto, like, the Facebook reels and I scrolled through them and I wasn't even entirely sure what I was even looking at. Even though 90% of it, I understood it was that 10% that was like, had my head turned sideways the way a dog does when it's confused. Like what the fuck am I scrolling through? What is going on here? That's how I feel almost every time I get on Facebook anymore. Yeah. Why am I doing this? And yet? and that's that's something we have interacted with for years. I couldn't imagine trying to explain something as crazy as what he went through. Yeah. I mean it would probably definitely take a whole team of psychologists to get it into just a few paragraphs. Yeah. It's uh, quite a journey he went through to get this story out. Yeah. I applaud him for that. I look forward to reading the rest of the books and maybe revisiting Whitley Stryver at a later date as I get more up to date on where he's at now. And there's been a a shift. Long time ago, people would worry about ridicule and stuff like that. But it's like in our modern day, people really just don't care what other people think anymore which is great it's a great it's a great outlook to have they don't care unless it's directly opposite of them no i mean as far as talking about your experiences and things like that i mean i talk about my experiences and people ridicule that it's like well they're still my fucking experiences i mean well i mean it doesn't really matter what you think about them it was real to you and so that's all that matters yeah yeah There's like a shift towards that. Also, we associate with a lot of like-minded people, which could be a lot of it, too. Yeah. I guess at least in our communities. Like attracts like. Yeah. But I'm going to say that this is going to be the end of our Whitley Stryber communion. 
okay. series, part one and part two. Um, I do plan on reading some more books, and I will come back with some more information later on. It's definitely an interesting communion. I expect it to there to be wafers and wine. But <laughs> Wafer, wafers and priests. This was um, <laughs> this was much more fascinating mm-hmm. than like a mass. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you want to learn more, check out Whitley Shriver's large collection of books. You can also check out his podcast, Dreamland, or uh, his website, which is unknowncountry.com. And just learn more. I think that's the thing is just the more you learn, the more you. The more you know. The more, the more you learn, the more you know. Knowing's half the battle. Mm-hmm. And the other half is violence. No, we do not condone violence in any oh. way. Well, what's the other half of the battle? Besides knowing. Gerbil stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nobody put your gerbils anywhere but in your gerbil cages. Is that, what they're, is that what they're calling? Is that what they're calling? Your <laughs> anus is not a gerbil cage. And be sure to like us, follow us, and all that fun stuff on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. And check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash UMP normalcy. We've also got Parabox Monthly where you can get a monthly paranormal t-shirt sent to your door. Use the link in the description of this show and promo code paranormalcy to get 10% off your first order. Also check out Raven's Last Oath on Discord. The gaming community that is in the memory of our brother Eli. And good things are happening over there. It's getting really active. Yep. My phone goes off all night long. <laughs> also, don't you forget to check out my Etsy page. Um, it's Etsy, and then you can search Sweet, by Sweet Magic by Amy, or there'll be a link in the description of this show. There'll also be a link for Raven's Last Oath. And I think that's going to be all for this week's episode. So until next time. Keep digging. Um, excuse me, sir. I believe I've got my uh, dick stuck in your toaster. And uh, your dribble is stuck in my foot. Unearthing Paranormalcy is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. To hear more great independent productions like the one you just listened to, visit our catalog at tgmpodcastnetwork.com.